So we're continuing our sermon series today on the topic of why church? Why do we go to church? Why do we participate in church? What, what is the purpose of the church? Why do we come? And speaking of churches, a couple of, or actually a little over a week ago, <clears throat> I was down in San Diego visiting my mother. Finally got down there after a, a long break of uh, seeing her. And one morning I was coming into the kitchen for breakfast and she greeted me with these kind of shocking words. She said, my church collapsed. And my first thought is, my God, what church is she talking about? she talking about the church I grew up in that she still attends down there? Or, God forbid, is she talking about Piedmont Church, which she has a sense of ownership of as well? What does she mean by collapse? Well, turns out that she told me it was the first congregational church of New London, Connecticut. That's uh, where my mother was baptized and where she grew up as a little girl, went to Sunday school, maybe Maybe some of you saw it on the news. First Congregational Church of New London. On the afternoon of January 25th, seemingly out of the blue, the massive stone structure of the sanctuary, which was built in 1850, and the church goes all the way back to the 1600s. I've seen it many times myself. It just fell down. Just collapsed. And luckily only one person was inside, and they weren't hurt. But still, it's devastating news. And then a couple days later, the demolition crews came and you know, tore down the rest of the buildings. Everything went away. They carted the rubble away. And now two tiny little congregations, each with fewer than 30 people, which shared the grounds, the property, for many years, are left without a home. And that leads to this question. What is a church, after all, if it has lost or doesn't even have a building? Of course, in principle, we all know that a church consists of the people, not just a building, but i got to say, honestly, sometimes that distinction gets kind of blurry. So as I said, we are now in the, I guess, fourth week of this sermon series on why church What's it for? And Steve has given us some answers about it, having to do with um, belonging and growing and also, what was the other one? Worship. Worship. That's what we're doing right now. Great reminder. Well, it was so memorable. It was, yeah. Today I'm talking about remembering, oddly enough. (laughs) Actually, today I'm talking about reaching out. That is, you know, what is it about the church that calls us to engage with the community outside of our congregation, that is beyond the walls of the church, and how that's an essential part of who we are, whether or not we have a building. So let's go back to the beginning. That is to the beginning of the Christian church as a gathering of followers of Jesus, which we hear about in the very last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So let's turn now to God's word to us Today, from the 28th chapter of Matthew, very familiar words to many of us. Listen now for God's word to you. When the eleven disciples, that is, minus Judas, went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, this is, this is after Easter. This is after Jesus' resurrection. 
They went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him. And then when they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we pray that you'll grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand and live into your word and go out into your world this day and in days ahead. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I just read to you is called what? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. After Jesus' resurrection, as I said, an angel has told the disciples to go, which go all the way from Jerusalem where they were, all the way to Galilee, which is about a week's journey by foot. They have to go up there and they're going to meet Jesus, the Lord, on a mountaintop. And it's no surprise that he's going to be on a mountaintop because mountains have played a really huge role, symbolically, all throughout Matthew's Gospel. And if you remember, all throughout the Bible, mountains are big deals. It's where Jesus is tempted by the devil. It's where his transfiguration happens. He preaches his sermon on a mount or a mountain, maybe even the same one the disciples are going to. And it's interesting, isn't it? that the gospel also says that even as they worship him, the disciples still doubted, which can be a comfort to all the rest of us who try to follow Jesus as best we can, even with all of our own doubts. But you know, why on earth wouldn't they doubt? Right? I mean, it is not every day that a guy comes back from the dead and an angel tells you to take a week's journey by foot to go up, meet up with him up on a mountaintop. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But even with their doubts, the disciples go and they see the Lord. And he says, as you heard, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me from Almighty God. And then as he's about to leave this earthly existence behind, he, he, he actually passes on his authority. That is, he commissions, he sends his disciples to go out into the world and to do the same sort of stuff that he'd been doing all along. Go, he says. Share my message of radical love and mercy with all people. Baptize them, that is, Welcome them into my all-embracing community of grace, healing, and hope, and teach them to live as I did. And as you do so, remember that I'm always with you, every step of the way, every single day. Now, the teaching he's talking about, at least in part, on this particular mountaintop, goes all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount in the same gospel, where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the persecuted. How are they blessed, you might ask? This world right now doesn't seem to bless people like that all that much. How do they get the blessing? Well, in large part, when you and I as disciples of Jesus spread his message of love and grace and power, we are the blessing especially for the most vulnerable people among us and in society. We're the blessing. And that's the mission that Jesus gives us as his followers. So, after 2,000 years, how are we doing? As the Church of Jesus Christ, what has been our track record? Or as someone said to me the other day, as Christians... How are we living up to our name or our title, our Christians, as little Christs? I like that. Well, the record's mixed, isn't it? To say the least. Which is why lots of people aren't all that interested these days in Christianity, finding out more about it, or in becoming Christians. I won't get into specifics, but you you know the stories. You've probably been there yourself. We Christians can get a bad press. And sometimes, to be honest, we richly deserve it. What's more, many Christians seem to have more or less given up on the mission too. You know, maybe because it seems too hard, impossible. But I think part of it also has to do with that little word mission itself. You know, to many it brings to mind some, some of the dark history of, of Christianity, of colonization or of forced or, or phony conversions that have gone on in the name of Jesus. And I get that. Even if I still hold on tightly to the word mission to describe the outward focus of the church, the inward focus are what we do here together as a congregation is our ministry. Our mission is what we do as we go out and share the good news with other people. It comes from the Latin word missio, which simply means send. It's all missio, mission means, send. In John's Gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. It's the last words he says to them. So, even if it's hard to do sometimes, our mission is still to try to bring the kingdom of God to reality on earth as it is in heaven, by the power and the light of the Holy Spirit. So what is the kingdom of God? I really like the way that British pastor Steve Chalk describes the kingdom of God, puts it this way. The kingdom of God is simply another way of of talking about what life would be like if God were king. If God's will was done here on earth, rather than that of the financiers or the marketeers or the politicians or the media, and the will of God is simply this, that every person, every community, indeed the whole of creation should flourish, free from oppression and able to enjoy the opportunity to live life how God created us to live. 
That's a pretty good description of what the kingdom of God is. Jesus tells us to go, reach out, and do what we can to make the, to make the kingdom a reality. Or if you know, some people don't like the word kingdom, it sounds too much like domination. So a lot of people now, nowadays are using a different word. Sometimes they use the word realm of God, but a different word than kingdom that you might try on for yourself is kingdom. Kingdom. The family of God. The all-embracing kingdom of God. But whatever you call it, kingdom, realm, kingdom, we do it, we bring it to reality, not just by telling people that they have to believe all the same stuff that we happen to believe. It's by inviting them humbly to follow Jesus, to follow the way of Jesus, and teaching them how to do it by how we live our own lives. Now, as I said, it's not easy. There's a pretty well-known story that originates way back in the Middle Ages. Um, it's the day of ascension. You know, as Jesus is lifted up on a cloud in front of his disciples, which happens in Luke's gospel, he's lifted up on this cloud and, you know, the cloud's going up and then there's another cloud here, sort of <laughs> tandem going with him. And there's two angels on that other cloud and they cry out, Jesus, wait for us. And so he turns around, he greets them and he says, yes, my friends, well done. And one of the angels replies, that's what we should say to you, Lord, for you have done all that was asked of you. But what happens next? Isn't there more to be done? Jesus answers, well, of course, there's always more that needs to be done. But didn't you hear the Great Commission? Now they will be my witnesses reconciling the whole world to myself. Well, the angels look at one another hesitantly and then they look back at Jesus and one of them says, yeah, we heard all that. But haven't you been paying attention to them? Do you really think that you can rely on humans to fulfill your mission? What's your backup plan? And Jesus pauses for a moment and says, there is no backup plan. You're it. We're it. So if you and me and our brothers and sisters all over this world, if we're the plan to bring the kingdom of God into reality on this earth as it is in heaven, how can we bring it to fruition? Well, for starters, by doing what Jesus says. That is, go. Be ready to get out of your comfort zone and maybe even out of your comfortable church sanctuary to actively share the love and the mercy and the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ in this world. In fact, that's that's just what the folks from those two little congregations in New London did the very next day after their sanctuary collapsed. They fed the homeless, as they've been doing for many years, every single day. They took all the food they had left over before the demolition crew came. They took all the food they had down to a Salvation Army facility, and they fed people a warm meal 
And they shared the love and the hope they had in Jesus, who's always with them, whether or not they have a sanctuary. And as one member said, named Carmen Wilkinson, she said, we're still a church. We lost a building, but our church is people who used to be in a building. Now we're outside along with everybody else. So it's an end, but it's also a beginning. You know, that sense of a church getting outside to serve people where they are reminds me of something that happened to me a few years back, before COVID. I was helping to serve dinner at City Team Ministries, as many of you have, in downtown Oakland at what they call the Hope Cafe, and I was there, and I met a homeless guy named David. He was wearing a Detroit Tigers baseball cap, and we talked a little bit down there. He shared a bit of his life and how hard things were. And Then two days later, I went down to my old church, the church where I used to serve in downtown Oakland, First Presbyterian at 27th and Broadway. Every week, they serve about 100 homeless men and women lunch and to give them clothing and all sorts of essentials. So there I was standing behind a serving table holding two big spoons. I was handing out mixed salad with one hand and fruit salad with another hand and trying not to get them all mixed up on the plate. And then I see a guy right in front of me wearing a Detroit Tigers baseball hat. And I say, hey David, I met you the other night down at City Team Ministries. And he said something in response to me that I will never forget. He said, Hey, Pastor, you get around. (laughs) And honestly, the first thing that came into my head was the old Beach Boys song. But (laughs) then I said something in response like, I try. And you know, sometimes I do at my best. I try to get around, and I know that so many of you do too. Amidst all the craziness and all the bad news all around us these days, we get around. We go and serve as best we can, whether it's food or support or compassion or love with people who are, I can tell you, starving for it. And that is how Jesus gets around too. So in line with the question we've been asking in our sermon series, why church? Why do we as a church reach out to people beyond our congregation? Well, the obvious answer is because Jesus tells us to. Couldn't be clearer. Every single gospel. Of course, how we do it makes a world of difference. So the second reason we reach out is because even with all the problematic things done or not done for the last 2,000 years in the name of Jesus, we Christians still do a world of good. A world of good. I can't even imagine what this world would be like if the message of Jesus Christ had not been proclaimed in word and deed. 
from serving in a soup kitchen to starting a hospital, from tutoring kids to establishing a university, I could go on and on. Jesus still gets around in so many ways. For example, setting aside all the time people actually spend, you know, themselves, bodily form, going to various places to serve, setting all that aside, if you add up all the money churches in America gave to mission in 2019, that is, reaching out beyond their own congregation to serve folks in need, the total is around $32 billion. Sounds big. Sounds great. Until you realize that in the same year, Americans spent about $100 billion on lottery tickets and gambling, $50 billion on pet care, and $10 billion on romance novels. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with any of those. But clearly, there is still a lot of work for us to do in fulfilling the mission that Jesus has so clearly given us. And that brings me to the third reason we reach out as Christians. Because it's good for us for you and me, too. A few years back, I was um, interviewing member, <clears throat> some members of Piedmont Community Church for my uh, doctoral dissertation on the topic of short-term mission trips. I can see some of you today or some of the folks I interviewed. And one of the people who I talked to said this to me about mission service. Quote, when I'm doing mission, I am following Christ and the Great Commission to go out and serve. I feel like it's one thing to have ideas and talk about helping the poor, but if I'm not actually using my life to do it, it would be meaningless. Beyond meaningless, it would be hypocritical. Another person said, uh, which echoes a quote that's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, the person said, I see mission as going out and preaching the love of God by example. That is not with my words, necessarily. And I can't think of a better way to say what it is to live by the Great Commission, to go out and preach, to share the good news of God in how you live your life and what you say and what you do. You know, a few months ago, our church established a board of mission. We have the board of trustees, board of deacons, board of Christian education. Now we have a board of mission. And we set it up in part as a tangible way to show all of the rest of us in the church that serving and connecting with people beyond our congregation is absolutely central to who we are as a church of Jesus Christ. So the board, which consists of nine members, is actively seeking ways for all of us, however we're able, to uh, get involved in the mission of our church. In fact, I want to tell you that after worship on March 3rd, you'll hear more about this, but after worship on March 3rd, we're going to host a forum over in the um, Guild Par Hall where you can share some ideas on how we can do this. I look forward to that so much. And then on March 16th from 9 a.m. to noon, you can actually go out and serve some truly needy people at City Team's Women's Shelter in East Oakland. I'll be there, and I hope to see you all there, too, or some of you. 
So back to the question, why church? Why come? Why give? Why serve? Because we are the hands and feet, the eyes and ears. We are the body of Christ right now incarnate on this earth. And when we reach out to people beyond our congregation, we are truly being the church. We're sharing the love of God as best we can, and you know what? We're experiencing it too. So just like those earliest disciples did, even if it seems hard, even if it seems inconvenient or uncomfortable, no matter what's going on in your life, when in doubt, go. In the name of Jesus, amen.